Welcome to Centering Centers, a pod network podcast that explores the work of centers of teaching and learning and the vision and insights of educational developers in higher education. The pod network is North America's largest educational development community, supporting members' professional learning through meaningful and sustained interaction. This podcast is an initiative led by the Digital Resources and Innovation Committee of POD. To get more involved in the DRI committee or this podcast, just send us an email at dri at podnetwork.org. Hi, I'm Derek Breff, Visiting Associate Director at the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University of Mississippi and former Executive Director of the Center for Teaching at Vanderbilt University. While I was at Vanderbilt, I hosted the Educational Technology Podcast, Leading Lines, for six years. And when that podcast ended, I reached out to Laura and Lindsay at Centering Centers to see if they might be interested in having me as a guest host. They were delighted to say yes, and today I'm hosting the first of two episodes here on Centering Centers. I am very excited to share a conversation I had last month with Sean Miller, Director of Learning Innovation at Duke University. There are a lot of colleges and universities that are trying to figure out how to blend faculty development with academic technology. And I have long seen Duke Learning Innovation, which combines those two functions in one unit, as a place that gets that blend just right. In our conversation, Sean shares how Duke Learning Innovation came to be and how the unit continues to find ways to integrate the work of teaching consultants, instructional designers, and more. Sean also shares his unexpected journey into faculty development, and he describes some of the advantages of directing a unit that's not called a Center for Teaching and Learning. Sean, thanks for being on Centering Centers. It's good to uh, connect with you and talk with you a little bit today. Oh, you too. It's been a while. It has been a while. I was just thinking. I, I, I think it was either February or March 2020. Um, when I was at Duke and cause I, cause, cause you were already working with Duke's, uh, China campus yeah. on some kind of pandemic response. Although we didn't know it was a pandemic at that point, if I remember right. correctly. Such a, such a crazy time, uh, that ended up being a story for us, right? Like everyone was scrambling to figure out, put, put together a strategy to figure out how to handle the pandemic and help, help, uh, our campus in China, Duke Kunshan University, uh, pivot to to remote learning and such a novel idea. And all my staff was like super psyched about doing this thing. I mean, we understand it was a serious situation, but they were excited about, hey, big challenge, let's drop everything, let's do this. And so, like everyone did that for like two or three weeks, right? And then we moved that we moved the whole teaching thing at, at DKU online. And then uh, about a week into the end of that, I get called into the provost's office, and she says. So y'all think you could do that for Duke? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we knew things were getting worse in the U.S., but, like, no one really thought we were all going to shut campuses down at the time. Yeah, and And I remember on my campus, we were thinking about our study abroad students who might have to discontinue their studies. And so we, you know, that was a problem, certainly, but it was was a much smaller scale of a problem than than what we had, like, two weeks later. Yeah, yeah. So it was... It was good. I mean, Ithaca did a, a case study on us, uh, Ithaca SR, because they uh, <laughs> so so weird that we had, we kind of did this microcosm of the whole pandemic preparation pivot 
preparation thing. And then we ended up basically expanding on that playbook for the first wave of the pandemic uh, here in the States. Right. But yeah, you know, over time that evolved, of course, but that's exactly what we did. It was like a, like a practice run. The, The only thing that made it so hard was that everyone gave their all for the campus in China because we did, we thought we were going to just take a break after that, right? Right. That, that was your heroic move. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. It was a. Uh, it was. It was so interesting to try to get staff uh, motivated again. Right. Yeah. Uh, when everyone was like, everyone had personal stuff happening by then, right? Sure. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. what about my my family that is immunocompromised, or what about you know where are we going to work, or we're all going home now? You know. <laughs> yeah. All that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot that you were there, like right at this, like right at. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Uh, Duke was one of the last campuses I visited <laughs> before all the travel stopped. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got a question here though to take sure. you back a little bit further, I think, than 2020. Um, so LinkedIn tells me that you have a master's degree in rhetoric and writing. Studies. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> How did you end up directing a unit that supports oh innovative teaching? Yeah. I'm, I'm like one of the weirdest outliers probably in this field, right? Uh, so I was at the University of Texas at El Paso, and I started my – I was a first-gen college student. I started my career there. Uh, I worked in a in what was then a digital media center, right? The, like the new – you know, back then it was like a new hot thing to do CD-ROMs for faculty or like create multimedia for faculty. I thought that was a great job. I, I had done some web design and stuff in the early days of the web. It, and it was kind of – hack at graphic design. So I thought if I could get a job at this digital media center, that'd be awesome. It'd help me pay for, for school outside of my financial aid, my scholarships and stuff. And it was great. So as that center evolved, though, uh, they decided, hey, what are you doing after you get your undergraduate? Like, maybe you should stay here and work here. Maybe you should manage a team. And I was like, I don't know anything about management, but <laughs> sure, right? And so I gave that a shot because I was like, I, I'm not really, I'm going to go somewhere else and get my master's and my PhD. And all along, my dream was to be an English faculty member, right? Okay. It, it, yeah. Like a literature professor, right? Okay. I did not grow and, up that way, but that is that is a, right. that is a dream. Yeah. You and I are like on two sides of the thing, right? <laughs> right. I, you know, those are poor choices, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I figured I'll figure out what I want to do with a PhD, a PhD later. For now, I'll just do this and I'll work here at UTEP. But over time, I realized I could get a master's degree for nothing if I worked at UTEP. But they they had also created a new rhetoric, uh, writing, writing and rhetoric program there that was uh, a new PhD program that was uh, not only going to be about writing and rhetoric, but they were going to focus on sort of the digital, the aspects of digital learning, like early aspects of digital learning. And I had worked professionally with some of the faculty there on launching some of the first hybrid courses for UTEP, right? Even mm-hmm. though I knew, knew next to nothing about that too. And so um, sort of two things happened. So I was I was in this PhD program where I was also earning my master's degree. And at the same time, my center had been subsumed. This is like a common story for everyone, right? Subsumed by a teaching and learning center that was established because UTEP had not had a teaching and learning center before, but a new pair of people came in, uh, spousal hire and, a, and another person came in that had a lot of experience in uh, teaching and learning across the field. Overnight, I found me and a lot of my staff worked for a teaching and learning center, not for a digital media center anymore. Okay. And so yeah. that basically meant like 
even though the digital stuff was still happening, and we were still doing hybrid courses, we were still running online courses, we also, those of us in leadership, also had to learn to talk the talk for faculty development pretty darn fast, right? And so, gosh, I had barely been in the classroom, though, as a PhD <laughs> student, right? Okay. And I, yeah. was, so I, was teaching, I was teaching some writing, some hybrid writing courses. I was teaching some of their first hybrid writing courses. Um, but... I was not like prepared. So, but I, so about a year or two, I was basically trained trial by fire in like all sorts of faculty development, steeped deep into all of the literature at the time, learned all the techniques, gave workshops for things that I had no experience doing workshops in, honestly, right? But I was paired with a lot of great mentors and I worked with a lot of great people who did have experience. And so, out of that, I had this. I gained sort of this um, set of skills for that would would align you with a traditional teaching and learning center, right? In addition mm-hmm. to being a digital media and online learning person, so all that. Uh, and then my wife, I was pretty newly married at the time too. So here I am teaching classes, working full time, newly married, and. Life is pretty stressful, although, like, you know, whenever I talk to you, Derek, I think uh, you take on a lot of stuff. So, like, <laughs> maybe it wasn't that stressful. But at the time, it seemed super stressful. I was spending yeah. most – I was spending, like, all day Saturday reading and writing, right? And yeah. then I was spending all day Sunday, like, grading and prepping, yeah. and then i go back to work, right? So yeah, life was getting a little sad. And uh, my wife said, hey, uh, how about next summer – you go on the job market just for fun to see like what, well, you know, what comes up. Yeah. And you know, you don't have to take anything. You don't have to bail on your program. You could, you know, but if you do find something great, like maybe that's something, maybe life will create this. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you're right. There's no reason to be, you know, not to look at my options just for fun. So a job at Columbia and a job at Duke uh, came up. They were both kind of these academic technology consulting type gigs. Okay. Yeah. And the people at Duke were great and very great people. Um, I didn't know what I thought of a Duke as an institution. I did think like, well, interesting career move, right? I spent most of my career doing uh, working at a state institution with tight budgets with first-gen college students. What right. if I went to an elite institution <laughs> with nearly unlimited budgets and like, you know, at the time I thought entitled kids, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, just to see what it's like, gain that experience, right? Sure. yeah. Like, I was like, I don't have to stay there forever. It could be fun. So, you know, we talked about it a lot, and I decided, okay, like, I'm going to bail my PhD, and I'm going to go move to Durham, North Carolina, and uh, start <laughs> over, basically, right? Yeah. And that's how I ended up over here at Duke. Um, but then, uh, you know, a whole series of other things, like, so I worked for the Center for Instructional Technology at the time right? at, at Duke. That was not also not a traditional teaching and learning center. My understanding is that several years before I came to Duke, the traditional teaching and learning center had been dissolved, and out of the ashes of that was formed what they call the Thompson Writing Program, sort of the writing across the curriculum program at Duke, and uh, our center, the Center for Instructional Technology at the time. But uh, it does come up once in a while, like, why doesn't Duke have a teaching and learning center? It's because our center is sort of the de facto teaching and learning center, right? Um, but at the time, our mission was this, this Center for Instructional Technology's mission was 
of course, getting faculty to use educational technology. And like what that meant at the time was like, start using Blackboard, right? Sure. Or yeah. the early iPod project that put Duke on the map for some oh, people, right? right. Yes. Um, yes. So when I started, like I had to learn all about the iPod project and how great it was, and, you know, how Duke had made this big investment into digital hardware for students and, um, you know, so that was kind of the ethos of the organization that I got into. Okay. Yeah. And uh, over time, like we evolved past that. And one of the things that evolved out of that, though, was that some of the academic technology consultants like myself, we had either instructional design skills that we came in with, or some of us were previously faculty. So we also had a, sort of a, a pedagogical bent to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And we started to see that there wasn't much difference between teaching faculty to use technology versus getting faculty to think about more effective ways to teach, you know, especially like with the new ways of active and active learning, flipped classes, team-based learning, all that stuff. So we started adding, like sprinkling that into our programming. And pretty soon, like we were basically doing the brunt of the teaching and learning center work in addition to running the LMS and doing other things. Right. Yeah. And so that's like the first, to me, the first iteration of the Center for Instructional Technology is basically like teaching and learning center mashed up with your educational technology group, mm-hmm. but never really like separate from the start, right? And so like, you know, people ask me a lot about how they could create these combined centers, like pulling these different centers together and how we've, how we've done it. And like the, the answer for us is like, we really didn't do it. Like we kind of grew it, grew it, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like you fast forward a few more years, Duke took on Coursera, started doing online learning pretty heavily. We built an online learning team, even though it looks like on paper they were separate from our team. Most of our team in, in the Center for Instructional Technology also participated in that. And then like we just basically combined all that together later mm-hmm. and rebranded as learning innovation. Nice. So like so far up until this point in history, like we've, we've basically evolved three different types of units into the same thing. And we just have teams that basically are those de facto centers, right? But they all cross collaborate too. Um, so that's a really long way to answer your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but you touched uh, on a lot of things I wanted yeah. to ask about, which was yeah. um, there. I've seen lots of different ways that teaching centers and academic technology units have been either smashed together or pulled apart, yeah. or one was kind of sucked up into another one. And sometimes that works well, sometimes it doesn't. At Vanderbilt, we started with a traditional teaching center and kind of grew out our technology wing over time. And there were some growing pains there, but that was generally a pretty good approach, I think, um, to doing it. Um, and it sounds like at Duke, that was there was an organic nature to it, right? You, you didn't have the kind of challenge of taking two units and smashing them together. But you do have, as you said, these kind of different areas and different teams. And I'm So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I've found that faculty developers, instructional technologists, instructional designers, they all have somewhat different ways of approaching their work with faculty. They have different kind of paradigms, different epistemologies sometimes, um, different ways of kind of doing support, if we can call it that. And I'm wondering, how do you go about blending those approaches on your team? Yeah. This is a this is an ongoing challenge. This is a really great question. Um, we actually have well, we call them learning experience designers, but they're basically people that are mostly trained in instructional design, and they do hybrid online course development. And a lot of what they do is backwards design 
sort of processes. Now, I would say our consultants who work directly with faculty, whether it's residential or online, uh, they also have some instructional design and backwards design aspects to what they do, but they're very much more about the uh, relationship, right? And creating the relationship with faculty and trying to set goals that way versus just just designing a product, right? I think those are like those are big differences. But we've been talking about this internally a lot because um, our our consultants do also manage programming for faculty, like workshops, events, a lot of the outreach, a lot of the day to day sort of consulting on different questions. Whereas our instructional designers are usually on projects, right? But we've also been talking about like what actually makes those two people groups of people separate because they do share a lot. Like during the pandemic, we put them on these matrix teams, right? And sometimes one person's a project manager and one person's a developer or whatever, but like they all had skills that were very much interchangeable up to a point, right? And so we've been talking about whether we should rethink the consulting role as more of an educational developer or a faculty developer to make it even more clear. But But to your question, I think there's so much overlap between those two roles that we've we've talked about whether those teams should be one team, but the main thing that separates them to me is like one is focused very much on developing a certain product, right? Like the product is an online course or a hybrid course or yeah. a, a series of courses or an online degree. And the other team is really about uh, impacting the, the, the learning for the particular faculty member or department, okay. right? And that's that's a product too, but it's not like really like a start to finish on the shelf, sure. right? And so it's like the goals are a little more ethereal, even though they're they would hate that I said that, right? Well, here's what I found as we when we took over LMS support at Vanderbilt, that our colleagues in IT who had been doing that work, they saw their job as solving problems for faculty, right? Faculty member presents a problem. Their job is to come in and fix it as efficiently as possible. Um, we at the teaching center thought about faculty development, right? We were teaching faculty to do things in their professions. And so where we landed eventually was that our general goal is that we are trying to teach faculty to fish. We are not going right. to fish for them. And right. so, you know, depending on the technology request we might get, you know, the faculty member might expect us to be fishing for them. And sometimes it was just like, yeah, there's sure. a thing that's broken in the LMS and we need to fix it, right? Like that, right. that's not a faculty sure. development opportunity, but generally we try to approach it as we are trying to build skills in faculty in using technology while in their teaching. And so I'm wondering if you, if you ever have that kind of teaching to fish versus fishing for them that you have to navigate. For sure. Like every, everyone on our team basically defaults to the teach to fish unless, unless like you said, there is some sort of fire that has to be put out, right? But another thing that we have had an issue with, though, is like no one wants to put out the particular fires because everyone wants to be the teach to fish people <laughs> okay. because because they're highly skilled, right? And yeah, and and when once you become highly skilled, you don't want to be like the person who just says do this thing and click this thing. But I think some of our staff are okay with that because they understand it's in the service of creating the relationship, right? Yes, or benefiting the relationship, uh, but. I struggle with that a little bit because one thing I've tried to do over the years I've been at Duke is elevate, try to elevate 
the expertise of the the unit, right? Like I try to make my I try to put my people forward, right? And then I want them to look like the experts they are because I want them to be treated as colleagues and not service people, right? Yes, Even though yes. we are definitely a service organization, right? But and this could be like I mean maybe this is every institution, but when I started at Duke, it was a different institution than it is now. It is very much like old school Southern elite institution when I started at Duke, right? And there was definitely like a, I'm the faculty, you all are the helpers kind of situation back then, right? right. And I'm not saying that yeah. of everybody. That is not a blanket statement about everybody, but that was the vibe, right? And and over the years, it's become, and I think this is the way this field has changed too, so much more collaborative, right? Mm. Like, yeah. Now it's more like faculty are saying, can I get someone to partner with me on this thing? Because I don't know, you know, I can't do this without somebody else to help me do X, Y, Z. And then our people are like, this sounds really interesting. I want to work with you on this difficult problem, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally, totally different frame of, of mind, but also the collaboration is just so much better. And I, that is not, you know, there's still like people answering questions about the LMS and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, we just yeah. We don't escape that, right? But I also kind of chalk some of that up to like, that's your, your critical value, right? Like if you shut your center down tomorrow, people are going to hurt mm-hmm. a little bit, right? right. Uh, right. Long-term they're going to hurt a lot, but they don't realize yeah. that. Right. But short-term they're going to hurt some because no one's going to be there to answer their questions right away. Right. Uh, longer term, they're just going to like suffer from the, the lack of like the overall enrichment of the culture. Right. But, right, right. But yeah. I liked how you frame that around building the relationship, right? That sometimes it's, yeah, I'm just going to help you solve this problem really quickly, um, or I'm going to fix this thing for you. But it's part of an overall relationship where you are trying to empower that faculty member to to be a fantastic teacher, right? And to, yeah. to develop really useful skills using technology. And I found that, you know, in 2020, when we had to pivot at Vanderbilt and help hundreds and hundreds of faculty figure out how to teach remotely and online, the fact that our unit did both of those types of things, right? Like we did the troubleshooting, but we also did the faculty development and the kind of the course design, the pedagogy, but also like where the buttons and how do you press them and and what are the tool options, right? Having one place to do all of that, I think gave us a leg up that year as we were working with faculty. Yeah. I mean, for sure. We, we, uh, if you didn't know who we were before that, right. (laughs) You do then. And, um, you know, I, you know the parable about the elephant? I really need to look this up because I keep referencing this. And it's – everyone knows this parable though, right? Like where there's like pe- – people are in a dark room or whatever. And they're touching different parts of the elephant. They all think it's a different thing, but it's really an elephant. That's like such a – so much like my center of the team, right? Like they – over the years, it's like you know people come in for like the LMS or they come because they need help with some teaching question or they wanted to develop an online course and then they go through their lives basically thinking that that's what we do but then during the pandemic when we ended up you know publicly putting out newsletters every week and communications every week and new websites about how to deal with you know inclusive teaching questions in addition to moving your class online they see that the you know the entire elephant uh, kind of yeah. rose from the <laughs> right you know yeah. it's like the lights the turned room. on in the room and we're like oh yeah. wait there's a lot here yeah yeah and yeah, I think that was yeah. overall really good for our organization but uh, also just you know it made a lot of sense because we had it was critical to bring all those pieces together at the time. <laughs> this may be a slight detour, but sure. Why why is your unit not called a center for something or the other? Ah yeah, we we were 
we rebranded. So uh, Matthew Raskoff, who's at Stanford now, when he was at Duke, he was the associate vice provost for digital education. And my, I was as the director of the then Center for Instructional Technology. I reported to him. And uh, we also were overseeing this online Duke unit that I mentioned earlier, but they also reported to him. So that was like a dual thing. Right when he started, him and I started talking and we said, let's, let's just rebrand this thing. It's time. Duke had been talking about whether they should, and this is funny too, Duke had been talking, they were working on a strategic plan. They had been talking about whether they should put uh, the, the desire to form a teaching and learning center in the strategic plan. And along the way, some faculty said, well, whoa, 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 what about CIT? CIT has been doing all of that stuff that you just listed, right? And they're like, well, bring, bring Sean over here, bring some of his team over here, let's talk to them. So I got involved in the strategic plan process. And so when Matthew started, I said, there's this thing going on, this conversation, you know, I feel two ways about it. Like, I feel like if someone starts a teaching and learning center here, that's good, but also it's going to, like, some of my people are going to go work for it. And then also they're going to do the exact same thing that we're doing over here, right? And later someone's going to say, can't we just combine these things? Right. <laughs> and so yes. like, let's avoid that. And so instead we started pitching this idea that, you know, learning had, the approach to teaching and learning had changed. It had moved away from, and I do believe this, like this wasn't just a pitch, but it wasn't just about helping faculty teach better. Our ultimate goal is to help students learn better, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that, that involves faculty training and faculty development, but it also involves like the staff, the programs, the technologies, everything that goes into trying to help students learn better. And so we like we were like, well, what do you call an organization like that? We kicked around some names and we decided learning innovation is what should happen, right? And so we pitched that. The provost liked it, put it in her strategic plan. <laughs> Boom, learning innovation. There so not the center for learning innovation, just learning innovation. Uh, and, you know, it's caused me endless problems since then because at Duke, at Duke people call us learning innovations – Learning Innovation, the Office of Learning Innovation, the Center for Learning Innovation, and you know, it is what it is. But um, we we like it, and it's been yeah. super. It's been convenient because it's it's amorphous enough that you could it could mean many things, but it also uh, pretty squarely puts us in in the realms that we need need to be in. So the, the word innovation is overplayed, and we understood that at the time, but. You know, we were we were using innovation to be more like incremental progress, right? And so, I think it's worked. Like, I, it took us a few years to like reestablish that brand, right? Sure. Yeah. And then the pandemic kind of cemented it, and so even now we're talking about whether we should rebrand again because I, I don't know if I told you this, maybe I did. We are uh, we're kind of moving our continuing studies unit at Duke into our operation. Okay. So like, yeah. you know, we, we got a presidential award for, for our work in the pandemic. And part of that elevation is like, Duke's like, well, you know, let's do some more, more with this great stuff. Right. Yeah. What are we yeah. doing with lifelong learning? Right. And so now our part of our mission is not only for the core of the undergraduate graduate experiences, but also to emanate that out to uh, like pre-college to post-career. Right. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. 
Uh, I don't know if like we'll rebrand again or we'll stay learning innovation. There's a lot of discussion there, but sure. you know, even more, it's going to be odd because we'll be like the teaching and learning center, but also the continuing education. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I hear you one. I mean, the, there are some verbal gymnastics at play in not being an office for or center for. Yeah. But I do like the idea that learning innovation is ambiguous enough that it allows you to kind of go in the directions that are useful. Um, it's one of the reasons that I liked being the director of a center for teaching Yeah, because it wasn't online teaching. It wasn't excellent teaching. It wasn't the advancement of teaching. It was like all teaching. True. Right. True. That, true. What's our scope? Anything that's teaching. That's yeah. our scope, right? It's a yeah. pretty big scope, which allows us to kind of lean into different areas as needed. The other thing I'm hearing from you, though, is that, and I, I've seen this too as, as well, that if you've got a really established unit center office that's working really well, it can often be more efficient and um, kind of advantageous to have them do more, right? They right. already have good structures. They have good people. Right. As long as it's not too far out of their scope, I, I find that's a lot easier in kind of launching new projects than to create right. a whole new unit to do those right. new projects. Right. One of the subtexts I've heard uh, from, from peers like you is um, there's, you know, teaching and learning centers always struggle for relevance and to remain seen and visible, but also they understand some of their strengths and some of their strengths are really about being like agents of change and drivers of change and transformation. And I think people leading into that uh, is really good. I think where teaching and learning centers sometimes shoot themselves in the foot is where they're not willing to go slightly outside the scope of what they think their mandate is. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'll also say this uh, with, and probably get in trouble for it, but you know, academia is full of people who don't know how to manage processes project manage, see things through to a conclusion. But most teaching and learning centers are full of people trained to understand how to do that, right? Yeah. And so like if you get tasked to like help with some wacky strategic project where you feel like this doesn't have a ton of relevance to, to teaching and learning, it probably does enough, right? And some of the best things in my career at least that have happened is because I said yes to things that I wasn't sure like aligned totally with <laughs> <laughs> right. What I thought what I thought the goal goals were, right? Sure, but you had a set of skills that would be useful for that project. Sure. And that sure. was a strategic project for sure. someone at the university. Yeah. And so you build those relationships, you build that trust. You were right. you were then seen as someone who can get stuff done and get it done well and yeah. do it in a collaborative way. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. totally I totally hear you. Yeah. Well on that on that note, let me ask about one piece of your your puzzle there. Um I gather that part of what learning innovation does is it serves as an in-house online program manager an OPM yeah. for Duke. Yeah. And um, I think th this kind of where to house that type of work, whether to do it in-house, whether to outsource it to some of these OPMs out there. This is, I think a question that campuses are struggling with right now. What advantage do you see in doing that work in-house and in a unit like yours that is doing faculty development and academic technology and all these other things? Yeah. Um, so I think I have two two different answers for that. So one thing I think is it goes back to the relationship thing, right? And uh, I, I you remember when learning engineering was like a hot topic when people would talk about learning engineers, 
you heard this phrase? I wrote a paper, well. paper on this with somebody. Um, I got invited to a thing at, at Harvard to talk about learning engineering because they, they, wrote a, they ended up writing a book about learning engineering, a group of different people in this field. The idea was that instructional design was really going to turn into learning engineering. And anyway, my pitch was learning engineering is not a role. It's a team effort, right? And when we're doing, especially when you're doing online courses, the best way to teach and to build and teach and design an online course is not to do it by yourself, right? Like, I mean, I, people can, and I know there's amazing faculty that do it, and there's instructional designers that have done it by themselves and have to maybe. But the best way to do it is a huge collaboration amongst different people with different skills coming together at different critical times, right? And and so, to me, learning engineering is a team sport. And so this internal OPM thing, to me, it's really about having the, the team available and then working with that team. And at least at the design phase and the uh, design into some of the content development phase, I really think your team needs to be closer to the heart of the university than further away. And I'm not saying OPMs can't do a good job because sometimes they do amazing slick jobs of things yeah, yeah but if you if your goal is to help the university transform over time and learn how to do this right to teach the fish thing comes back to that too right. yeah how do we do that but also it's not even teach the fish it's teach to learn it's learned to it's teaching someone to learn to teach in a new way right which is like a whole different thing because a lot of people hate team teaching but this is beyond team teaching this is working with a team and being dependent on people to help you do things that you can't do by yourself right and I think that's a great thing. And that's the thing that I don't want to give away to OPMs necessarily. Uh, I don't think you have to give everything away when you do those. Um, the other part of it, the answer though is like Duke has been reluctant to do a ton of online where it gives a lot of its rev shares and other things away. So that's been helpful sure. for us in that. Uh, I also though think there's a par parallel strategy for us. So like we do work with Coursera, which is not really an OPM because they don't really produce this stuff, but they are a platform and a marketing thing for us. But I think those those partners are great at helping us ramp up innovation faster. But the the thing that universities miss is they should not have that as like the end goal to to me in my mind, right? I'm saying uh, in my mind, there's a parallel thing that's also happening where we're ramping up the internal abilities, the internal infrastructure, right? And it's not really to like knock off the OPM. It's just to be able to do the things that we needed the OPM to do that we can't do now, right? Because universities, like everyone likes to say, like universities are like a big ship and it's hard to steer and change. And I think that's true. And, it, and it's hard for innovation to happen, but innovation does happen in institutions. It's just slow. And, and, but we will get there. And so, I, you know, I said this in a meeting with a different OPM once, but I was like, at some point, you're like, sure, we need you today, right? But at some point, we will do what you're doing now better and and with more quality than you can totally offer us ever, right? But like, I can't say that right now. I can say it five years from now, right? But my goal is to do both, to work with you now to help us innovate, but also to like plan ahead to be able to do what you're doing, but better later. Right. It's like we're the great assimilator of like ideas and, and all that. Right. <laughs> right. We so, should be getting better at what we're doing. Yeah. Yes. So like the OPM question isn't oh, so much a either or to me. It's like, yeah, you could do both if you're strategic about it. Just yeah. don't be 
I would, it would be foolish to put all your eggs in one basket, right? It'd be foolish to think the university could, could kick up a, a startup real fast. I mean, cause I, my unit's basically been a startup off and on during while well, I've been at Duke. Right. But even the scrappiest startup, like we don't have unlimited funding, like real startups. Right. And even, the, even some of those are like, it, uh, there are stories like that. There's a few groups out of like Texas and others that did have like unlimited funds and startup capital to like do whatever they needed to do to help make this learning thing happen. Right. And then it just like imploded. So ask yourself why that is, right? And I think they move too far off the core of what the institution is. They're not helping to make that institution transform itself so they understand what's happening. And all sorts of factors, right? Sure, but, sure. And I'm not saying we've done it the best. I just think I think our strategy is like try to be smart about both those angles. Don't just, you know. So never say never about the OPMs, but also I would never work with an OPM without having an exit strategy and knowing like what how we could do the same thing later. Well, thank you, Sean. This has been really great. Um, I think our, our teaching center colleagues are really going to appreciate this conversation and the work that you've done at Duke. Um, thanks for pulling back the curtain a little bit and um, taking us on a tour of, of learning innovation and, and how it does what it does. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah.